welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 351 and my conversation with recent Masters of Music in Percussion Performance and Drumline Graduate Teaching Assistant at the University of Missouri, Jeremiah Ingram. Let's get right to it. As has been the case over the years on this podcast, and has been the case particularly while I've been teaching at the University of Missouri and doing this podcast, I get the chance to interact with, work with, play with, become friends with, and sometimes even mentor grad students here, both in the percussion world and outside of it. Whenever a percussion grad student finishes their time at Mizzou, I always ask if they're interested in being a guest here on the show. And fortunately for me, and for all of you, I hope, they usually decide to come on and chat. And I'm really glad that Jeremiah decided to join for this show. At Mizzou, Jeremiah's primary role was as the graduate teaching assistant and assistant director for the Marching Mizzou Drumline, an organization that I am an assistant director for. Along with that, he's been very involved in the percussion ensemble program and the jazz ensembles programs here. It's also been a challenge for Jeremiah while he's been here because he accepted the position as Drumline GTA just before the beginning of the pandemic. So he arrived to Mizzou and came to a new state of this country while everyone was socially distanced and masked and had to make his mark. And he has done so. It was great to chat with him about his experiences here, his upbringing in Alabama, and so much more. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on May 17th, 2023, and it begins right now. So this is going to be kind of an odd beginning because this was from a year ago, but tell me, uh, since you're finishing up your master's, Jeremiah, what was uh, your program for your master's recital? Some things that I wanted to play and some things that I also thought I wanted to like go through being in the field that I, I wanted to go through. So, so I guess in reference to that, as far as, um, I guess the latter of those two was Ray Bonds B. Um, it was just kind of a uh, staple in the literature. Hadn't played a bunch of multi things. So that was something that I definitely thought I wanted to definitely give a shot at playing. And I really enjoyed it. But so that kind of fell under that that idea enjoyed it more than I thought I would uh Bach prelude and fugue from book one of the well-tempered clavier uh I've always enjoyed some Bach hadn't actually played a fugue before that so that was also kind of a fun time and also you know help me realize like yeah while I like Bach I also like fugues even though they're hard <laughs> uh moving forward I played a uh, complexus by Paul Rennick which was a kind of a snare drum thing a snare drum piece uh but kind of like caught my eye. It was a part of another like collection of pieces with or without like tape aspects. This particular one didn't have tape aspects. I think all the other ones do, but it was kind of fun. It was in that it was snare drum, a little bit of rudimental stuff because it's Paul Rennick and uh, some, some bells on the underside of the snare drum to like shake and causing this uh, cool effect, which just caught my eye. And also seeing a recording of another educator playing it that I just happened to be fond of. Played Spitfire, uh, which was a Berimba and Euphonium duet, or I guess 
euphonium and marimba and vibraphone du <laughs> duet i guess me playing marimba and vibraphone uh played with another grad student here alex who just wanted to play it reason being that he didn't get to play it in undergrad because covid happened so you know that kind of put a stop to everything over over the rainbow which is the robert otomo that a lot of people are fond of that one definitely falling into a you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta mix it up and have something that you're just playing just because you like it, and it's nice to break up some of the more academic pieces with something that's like, why are you playing this? Because it's pretty, and I want to. <laughs> Not that it doesn't have educational merit too, but oh, okay, sure, play my. Okay, this is okay. I can relax now. Type of. I, I should point out, I, I watched this again yesterday because um, I was I had forgotten because I was like. Oh, I'm sure Jeremiah has done a recital this semester since all the other all the other grad students have done a recital this semester. And then and then it occurred to me that you hadn't and I hadn't missed it. And then I watched I watched it again. And I was like, I think I'm pretty sure that I was actually in the audience the first time for it when it actually happened. But you closed with the Kashinsky, I think. Oh, oh no, you did that and um another duet with Steven. Oh yeah! Wow, I completely forgot about like yeah. The so we played as one uh, with Jordan Nielsen, who at the time was a graduate student here, finishing up his last year, um, mm -hmm. his third year slash last year. Yeah, and uh, that we just wanted to do a duet, and I definitely wanted to. Uh, generally, I prefer playing music with people. Uh, solos just aren't really my thing. Not that it's not great. I don't love the literature, but I like playing music with people. Mm -hmm. So we did the. I guess you'd call it multi plus marimba duet. I guess I'd kind of I categorize it as that. And then with another grad student, Stephen, uh, Stephen Landy, it's got a obviously both of those have a few episodes here um, on your podcast. But it played eight on three with nine on two, which was also kind of one of those still hard, but also worked on some things that I wanted to work on. Um, as a percussionist and as like, how do I want to tackle some things in my playing? And one of those things where it's like, huh, I wonder if I could do this, you know, undergrad me that didn't really like the piece. And then after that, you know, it changed at least the, the drumline things I've gotten to do. But that one is kind of like uh, DCI bass drummers take on a percussion ensemble type of piece. So the amount of rhythmic integrity and rhythmic precision that you have to be able to, you know, call upon you want to actually be able to have that and having doing marching band, it's definitely made it significantly easier to work on um, compared to somebody that hadn't, hadn't done that before, but just the, the density of rhythms and interplay of having these split parts in like 32nd notes or like grandma's, which is something that you're, you're used to playing, but splitting that in half to where you're somebody just playing the accent part of it, being able to do that and being a, uh, a good enough musician as far as your tempo maintenance and being able to actually perform things like that to play it definitely made me want to be able to do it and also turn something that is can be a little dry in percussion ensemble world because it's you know splitting and doing all of these things you can make it musical but it's definitely easier to fall into the the trap of this these are hard rhythms and trying to make these hard splits so i'm not going to worry about like dynamics and shaping and ruin the phrases and stuff like so being able to make something like that musical was definitely something i also wanted to work on. at mizzou your primary responsibility and the thing that you and i most worked with was your work as the drumline uh grad assistant 
And tell me a little bit about what that was like, particularly since that also included year one in the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I... So it was like a balancing act of like getting used to a bunch of new things, like what my responsibility is going to be. I get to do more writing than I've ever done before, other than like, especially with, you know, writing in the past for fun and working on to work on some stuff like that. Well, now it's like, this is part of your job and you got to, you got to get this together. So being able to do that, moving to a new place <laughs> to know new people, try to figure out where you fit in and then hoping that COVID lets us get far enough that it doesn't get shut down. Again. Yeah. It doesn't get shut down again. Which it did at the end of the first year. It did. We made it pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> far. I call it a win. We made it farther than I think anybody thought we would. Yeah. But obviously that changed a few things as far as like actually having a marching show, having to think about that. The marching aspect of marching band kind of went away, even though it was still, you know, outside band. But uh, just trying to balance it and also like, I guess, thinking about the purpose of it, you know, trying to see what the students can get out of it. Like, why are we doing this? Like before, it's like put on a good show and want the students to enjoy their time. But now it's like, yes, put on a good show and wanting us to enjoy our time and just make the best of what we have unless because, you know, it might get taken away again. So it's like that became even more important than it already is. But even moving past that. <laughs> getting into a more regular year after year one was super interesting. Um, I wouldn't call it like a culture shock just coming from a, another SEC school, definitely a huge football school. So like the marching man, at least for the marching man purposes, wasn't super different in that I was having to go to like a giant program again, even though the school of music is bigger here, the marching man aspect was comparable in general, just trying to figure it out, figure out how I want to write music, figure out the role I'm trying to fill between uh, in the leadership hierarchy, you know, with how you interact with students. Obviously, I get to do a little bit more of it than higher ups would get to do on a more personal level. Um, figuring out how to make that work was definitely interesting. And just getting to you know know my colleagues, improve on myself and hopefully write for students to hopefully help them improve, but still enjoy their time. Your position works with uh, a director of Drumline, who's Cliff Walker, who we both know well at this point. And, you know, how did, how did you two work together to make sure that this experience was as good as it could be? From a a musical standpoint, it was one, it was, just great having somebody to like bounce ideas off of to write this and you know try to steer you in the right direction and get like feedback which I like to definitely still get to use that like hey what do you think about this what do you think about this or and then him be having worked with the group for years it's like hey I'm writing for this do you think this is good for this particular groups because sometimes you know things work for one group that doesn't work that it won't work for another one and obviously he wrote all of the, the warm-up stuff. So he wrote it with a particular idea in mind as far as getting good at these particular skills. His feedback was great. Obviously, him coming in once, like once a week would just definitely keep things fresh because it's one thing to get told a bunch of things by a teacher, talk from a student perspective. And if it's always one particular perspective and always one way of thinking, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into one way of thinking, one way of playing, and that just generally doesn't work, especially now with 
differing approaches. The feedback I got, but also seeing him work in a way that I wouldn't necessarily do that that way, but obviously him having a wealth of knowledge and experience um, added to, you know, my bag of taking things to like, hey, I really like how you do this. I wouldn't have thought of doing this this way, but I would definitely want to do that. Being able to make quick changes and quick adjustments to what's working, what's not working. I pulled a lot from that. And, and like, even then seeing how he would write something, approach something, or think about orchestrating something was just huge. So again, pulled from it, teaching wise, writing wise, uh, the way you might interact with the players, the thing you might say, pacing, pacing was definitely interesting and trying to mix it up with like push here, Maybe we relaxed a little bit here because of, you know, just getting this show or I wrote it for a particular thing or, you know, the idea of it'll work out. I know that at some point it's going to like snap together because, you know, the students will have that moment of like, oh, no, they get it. And him being more experienced, knowing that like, no, I just need to push right here so they get to this point and then it'll kind of snap into place. And that happened a lot, too. You know, what kind of stuff when you were, when you'd write, when, when you would be in charge of the, of the book for that particular show, did you see that your own writing kind of improved or changed as, as, as the years went on here? I guess getting here was definitely a, that was a thing that I definitely had to get used to the most because of the writing that I came from versus the writing that's done here was a little bit different. I, I think my my undergrad writing and just the the arrangements that we got lent itself to a more through composed type of writing style rather than a verse chorus and with like a bridge and an intro outro type of deal. Mm-hmm. So a little bit less patternistic, but trying to like figure out how I can mix the two so that I'm not writing in a style that's completely different, you know, <laughs> where it's for the students to like have to memorize or doing some, cause that was a drawback of having a more through composed type of style is you might have to put more memorization time into this thing, yeah. which can be good, can be bad sometimes. Sure. <laughs> First year was like figuring out how I could fit that in, you know, f- make some semblance of that happen in my own writing style. Second year was <laughs> getting used to it a little bit more, but have trying to have a little bit more interest because I think it kind of got a little, it kind of got stale from a playing perspective. I, while it did the job, I wasn't particularly happy with it. And then third year was like, okay, so now I have, I can take this and like figure it out. How can I like tweak it to where it's as interesting as I wanted to inter- be as interesting with um Third year was definitely big for like textures for me was how I could like mix up the textures to be more interesting, but also more interesting playing wise too. But I'd say like from a perspective of me, it's like first year, figuring it out, get a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable to try some ideas. Third year, try some more ideas and now figuring out what works and what doesn't work or what I don't like. And I also got some feedback from the students just because I'm always trying to improve from their perspective, some of them I've had for two years, some of them I have for three years. They also definitely felt that and saw some improvement, which was great feedback to get from me. But uh, I think just across the board, that was how I improved, how I learned how to fit in a little bit more. Aside from the marching band, what were some of the other activities you were doing as a master's student here? Obviously, the, the, the generic classes, but you know, you get your 
Um, percussion ensemble, which is always a non-negotiable. Not that I would want to change that. Oh my gosh, sure. I love it. Uh, you get your large ensemble, usually wind ensemble. Uh, this last semester, I got to do orchestra for the first time, a legitimate time since I've been in college. Marching band always kind of fought with being able to do orchestra, orchestral yeah. things. Mm-hmm. In undergrad, the same thing. It always kind of fought with how to fit that in. Got to do CJB, so the concert jazz band. Did that for, I want to say, a year and a half, two years. Which, and then also some smaller jazz combo stuff. Playing drum set for that. It's kind of counts, albeit it's still a class. Jazz improv. We worked on some vibe stuff with uh, Educator here, Tom Andes. And uh, Semester Steel Band, which was great. Uh, while this has a great world music program, I didn't get to do a lot of that here, except for my last semester. I got to do some Gahu, uh, some African drumming uh, from Ghana, which was great. It was hard trying to mix that into the auditioning for, you know, other institutions. Sure, yeah. <laughs> away from it a little bit, but I still got to do some of it. So I definitely got to do my share of jazz and world music. So things that fit less in the western art music i'll be jazz still fitting in it but still you know less thought about when we think about western art music at what point when you were here did the idea of doing a third year here get floated to you Uh, i'm pandemic related but obviously like when did when did that come up and and your decision to to do a third year here so it came up uh i want to say the first semester of second year, um, just because the three grad students prior to the, <laughs> I guess, new crop of grad students we had this year, yeah. uh, they also had the opportunity presented to them to do a third year in that basically their education was postponed halfway through with COVID happening. Yeah. Um, and realizing, I guess, the gravity of the amount of time and experiences that you lose when things have to shut down like that, especially in something like the arts, music specifically being, there's just so much give and take with colleagues. So there's being in ensembles or just bouncing off, bouncing ideas off of each other, or there's so many benefits to be had from being able to be in the same place. So I I think in recognizing how the experiences that were taken from them, they got the opportunity to do so. And then me coming in, albeit still being my first year, uh, I think I also was floated that opportunity because thankfully the higher ups realizing that I kind of lost a year to to at least for sure a half a year, if not an entire year, as far as being able to be with people and do things in a way just because like, yeah, I didn't have a, a huge shutdown, but there was limitations onto, you know, groups of people that can be together, how we can be together, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, what that meant. And then, and then obviously people to a certain extent, like disappearing for a week and a half, because obviously they've con- contracted it to where they can't be around people. So for the safety of others. So th- the fact that that was taken away and could be taken away, I think was why the idea was floated. And obviously I definitely benefited from that. Yeah. And being here for three years, but kind of like two to two and a half, it really feeling like that was super thankful for that. And also thankful for the opportunities that I got, uh, like, cause I got two more normal 
years of both development, interacting with my colleagues. Obviously, you mentioned I'm doing like the marching band thing, more writing and having the security of, okay, so it's probably not going to get shut down this time. <laughs> and then just performance opportunities as well with my colleagues, who's also great. It, you know, it's it, and it's interesting because of it being a master's program, it's already a very quick two years that to lose out on any part of that is 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 a, cr- a crime, basically, because there's just there's just not a lot of time. You, ha- you have to get everything done. Very fast. Yeah, it was <laughs> just a, a super quick turnaround, which was definitely a that was a little bit of a culture shock, I guess, from undergrad. Um Taking five and a half years for undergrad, I'll, I'll be it for two degrees, but still, there was a, a long, drawn-out time of things to develop, figure things out, opportunities to be had. Maybe you don't have the opportunity this year, but there's always next year when you got that many, when you have that many years. Yeah, um, this one definitely isn't like that. It's like, all right, well, you missed out on this one, and it's over. Like, there's not really a, yeah, unless you know, obviously, like it gets extended, which is great, but yeah, it's like you're trying to be a part of a lot of things and understanding that in two years you can miss out on some stuff and it not come back around for you to be able to partake in events or time or anything like that. You know, what's something when you, uh, talking to other master's students, whether they're, or doctoral students here, you know, when whether they're in band or not, or just anywhere um, here at the School of Music, but what kinds of things do you all, are you all concerned about, you know, as you look, get into more of this career, more of what you, what might be the future? What, what kinds of things are, do you all, are you, like are concerns that, that come up for you all? One thing that I've definitely thought about, but this isn't particularly new, which is, great because it would probably be more anxiety inducing if it was new and I just suddenly had to try to realize it was um how how saturated the field is because like in being in an, going for an advanced degree in music which is great but it's also a field that is requiring more and more advanced degrees in music jobs that are masters required are now like ABD, so like all like all the dissertation, and more and more things are requiring you need at least a master's degree, or you need to be part of the way through a doctoral degree to the point of where it's just your document, or have a document <laughs> and then have all of that be done. So it's like the educationally, it was, it's requiring more and more from you, and to to get the job, like you need these advanced degrees. So people are going to get these advanced degrees for good reason, because they want the job. But in doing that, there's like hundreds of people graduating with these things in any particular semester or day or week. Or So in having that, there's always obviously the worry of, great, I'm going to get these, these degrees, which are great. But after getting the, the piece of paper, am I going to have a job, which is a legitimate thing. It's not like a another field where not to discount it but they always want more like if i wanted to go into nursing or something it's just still still difficult way harder but there's plenty of job opportunities if you're willing to move and willing to do the thing so being able to find a job not necessarily 
a struggle in that particular field. Whereas in music, it could be a legitimate struggle. So again, what does it mean once I finish my time getting these diplomas and getting all these things? Like, am I gonna have a job for this? Also, like the things I might be faced with as far as a percussion standpoint, which is how di- like how many diverse experience do I have? Do I have enough to get the job that might want me to be drum set teacher, world music teacher, be as good of a marimbist as possible, orchestral musician, teaching steel band, teaching marching band, writing for marching band, running the rehearsals. Like, how much of that can I cover to make myself more marketable? And am I doing that to be able to make myself more marketable? The bigger overarching thing is like, once I finish, will the job I want be there? Will I get it? Which is a thing that's not going to change in the near future. But then also, I guess, making more of the, making the most of some of the experiences you have versus undergrad versus a grad student. Being a grad student, obviously, you have more more colleagues as far as other grad students and then professors that are above you that are training you to then be a colleague to them, making the most of those connections, not inherently being like an impersonal salesperson, but still getting like a lot out of those. So am I making those? Am I making the connections? Am I going to have the job when I get there? Am I going to be qualified for what somebody's going to require me to be? Again, percussion, oftentimes we're asked to be a lot of things. Um, so am I good enough at being all of those things to warrant getting the job that requires that? And then taking all of that in, trying to make the most out of it and not having the anxiety about, you know, am I going to have that? So not letting that take away from the fun, the experiences of sharing with colleagues and actually growing and, you know, picking their brains about stuff. So trying to find a a bit of a balance between the harsh reality of will these jobs exist, but also it's still music and hopefully a career for you. I'll be a career, not like, not like a job of, I just go to work and just get it done, but hopefully you find your enjoyment. How can you balance those two things without one taking away from the other? Yeah, I hear you. It's a lot. And there are a lot of us. <laughs> you know, there only seem to be more as we go. So, yeah, that was a great comment. Where are you off to in the fall? Off to the University of Kentucky um, on, on a TA, uh, working with Wildcat Marketing Band. Um, and then some other teaching responsibilities too. So while I'm doing the marching band thing, I'm also supposed to have some studio teaching responsibilities, um, percussion ensemble coaching, coaching and like conducting as in like on a concert, I will be playing the stick. Never thought it was like just being a conductor for that. Um, that'll be interesting. A lot of educational opportunities that I'm very thankful for that I can confidently say I have because of my time here, like an opportunity given to me because of the opportunity that was given to me here. Yeah, that's great. Kind of, we'll fill in some gaps here and there, but let's back up. So where'd you grow up? Grew up in Opelika, Alabama. If you ask somebody in Alabama, usually I'm first to say it's, it's connected to Auburn, like shares a newspaper um, because I ended up going to Auburn university. 
45 minutes from Columbus, Georgia, if that helps anybody. Not a super. Wait, that's considered. So wait, 45 minutes from Columbus, Georgia is still considered Southeast Alabama. Yeah. Not just East, I guess. That's, that's fair. It, it's like literally on the, <laughs> we're on that line. Like okay. take a, a family trip to Georgia, maybe 30 minutes. That's about gotcha. drive. Not a super small town, like not in the middle of nowhere, but also not, not very large either. Yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind of mid, but it's okay. Did, did you, did you have any family members in the arts? I did not. I was the first one. <laughs> Uh, born to obviously like mom who did not do any musical things. Dad also obviously no musical things. First generation college student, so they didn't really do much past high school either. Just decided even the idea of going to college was honestly like a, it doesn't seem to be working for them too well. You know, obviously having the, the list of struggles that they have that you could imagine and just trying to, you know, raise a family. Uh, they, they weren't together, so obviously I was raised with a single mom. So in trying to make it work and trying to financially make that work, I was aware that this wasn't particularly that great and they weren't having the easiest of times. So, you know, in an effort to try something different, that's what the idea of I'm going to try to go to college. Uh, thankfully, I did well enough in school as far as early times go that when it came to make that decision, that was still an option for me. Picking music specifically was just kind of a, I started just like a lot of people in Alabama would doing band uh, just because more band, not a lot of orchestra in Alabama. Sorry, <laughs> sad truth. Mm -hmm. um, started in seventh grade, had a, a wonderful band director, Rick Holland, who's since retired, but was very much so a, a go to bat for you type of teacher, especially if you were giving effort. So like his thing was like, okay, you want to be here, even if you're having a hard time, we'll still like, we can still work with that. You know, it's not about, you have to be the most talented, like you want to be here and you're a positive person, mm -hmm. good enough. And then had a percussion instructor who I think had just finished his degree at the time, Mike McGlynn. Started in seventh grade, like I said, uh, went on to eighth grade met some great friends that I still have to this day. And then just keeping that moving on, I was fortunate enough in high school, the headband director was also a percussionist. And my middle school percussionist, his particular job was going back and forth from the middle school to high school, which I feel like we're pretty familiar with. It's always seems to be a thing. Kind of kept me going. Uh, I wouldn't say I was serious about music at all, but it was fun. It was a place to belong. Like I said, met some good people instructors that generally cared about you obviously you see them multiple times a, multiple times a week to a certain extent got lucky with that whole music thing because <laughs> that's just why I happened to pick music when I picked it I got went through all my time in high school was very involved in all things music when I could be that also gave you a little something to do you know mother's doing her work doing her thing what can I do music's there to make me you know have give me something else to do not to say that i didn't love it but it was definitely that up for a while was like it was fun i like the people here got to my senior year again wanted to go to college and what did i have fun doing i had fun doing music and just happened to be close enough to a university where i could at least meet the professor see what i was getting into 
was unbelievably behind. <laughs> Just being honest, uh, not that great. But met with him, decided to give it a shot. Biggest turning point I had was being in my first class. It was a history class of like almost 200 students to where I was sitting down and being lectured at, which is fine. I did well, but I hate that. I don't like sitting down and being talked at. Oh. So uh, at that point, it was definitely a, that was my, I, I think I'm sure about this, mm-hmm. uh, a career where I don't have to sit in a cubicle or sit down and just be talked that I get to do things and do something that I like was, yeah, that would be my defining moment of, I think I'm sure about this. Yeah. In middle school, high school, were you were you taking lessons or was everything just through the school? Everything was through the school. I don't think I didn't get to take a single lesson until I was trying to get ready for college auditions my senior year. It just didn't work out financially. Um, not that they were terribly expensive down in Southeast Alabama, but still a little a, a little much for my family didn't really get to do that and the first time I took lessons regularly was when I got into my undergraduate program the band experience in high school how serious was it was it like a a very heavy marching band was the place that had a a big concert band experience what was what was there a little of both um I think they kind of saw the importance of having both again thankfully I was it had the benefits again of having, I had a percussion instructor and then a head band director who was also a percussion. Mm. So uh, I guess I'll get into how that shaped it a little bit. So in, in having that marching, like concert band was obviously a thing. We went to, you know, festivals and did, you know, the whole thing to, for those, those sweet, sweet ratings that you could have in your concert band. Um, we did, we did fairly well. Um, uh, also, the, the band program was a decent size. Um, and then in marching band, obviously doing the same thing, having your competitions where, you know, everybody gets a, you know, one. one. <laughs> that was the thing. But but did fairly well in that, too. At least the marching band being uh, 100 plus every year that I was there, which for the area was one of the larger ones and a pretty solid size, especially for a high school. But they were pretty serious about having that too. Um, they didn't really let us get too bogged down into just doing marching band or just doing concert band, which really, at that point, you're kind of fighting to make people more serious about concert band because you're in the South. We're it's high school football, so to a certain extent, marching band is still going to be big, even if you're not into bands. The high school football is going to push it into right. being super important. The town shuts down Friday nights. Yeah. What are you doing Friday nights? The town is at the game, actually. <laughs> right? Pretty much between the between Opelika and Auburn having the it was just that was the thing to do. We started doing having some indoor stuff. We had we had a percussion ensemble, obviously, uh, with having a percussion instructor there full time. We could have that. So we'd have a percussion ensemble every semester playing some some pretty decent literature. And obviously we just happened to have the the instruments to allow us to do so as well. So we weren't hurting too much for instruments, which was very fortunate. Those other schools in the area weren't that fortunate. We also got into indoor a few years 
to where we were doing that with the percussion instructor there, having never done it at a high school, like never taught it for that. But the band director had, who was previously a percussion instructor from Enterprise, Alabama. So he had done indoor. So it was kind of like a, I've done this before, you've never done it. And the new guy, Mike McGlynn, wanted to do that. And obviously, Jason Smith, the head band director at the time, had the knowledge to also help him forward that. So we did indoor. So we had marching band, and then we'd have indoor. But we didn't necessarily, like, forget about concert band things either. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we ended up putting it kind of on a rotation to a certain extent to where we'd have in the fall with marching band, but we'd still have concert band stuff. That's why obviously you have some concerts. And then during the spring, we do like a year of indoor and then maybe we do a year of hitting percussion ensemble a little bit harder. And mm-hmm. we did end up kind of alternating that. It also worked out better financially a little bit too. Indoor it can be a, a pretty expensive. So one year you pay for it, one year you don't have to. So, I mean, in, in my time, I got to do marching band and then percussion ensemble and then also do indoor for uh i think i got to do two years um in the four years that i got to do the um, actually be in band and do things like that so it was a good bit but we had enough staff for it enough people buy in to where we still got to do marching band concert band and then obviously percussion ensemble where you we do most of our concert development to a certain extent in percussion ensemble so I got to do a lot of it. Um, that wasn't the case for other schools in the area, getting to do all of those things. Yeah. Again, very fortunate. And I know that. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's awesome to have all those experiences at that school. And particularly, it sounds like you you were probably one of the few I, I, in the area, right? That, that like you were at a school where that was the norm, which is awesome. Yeah, so it was like us, Oblaka High School, where I went, um, and then it was Auburn High who got to do a lot of those things because they still had it, but I think we were still more active, at least at the time I was there. They've since become even more active adding the faculty um, there. Uh, Smith Station, who was also kind of similar to our boat in that the staff that they had. So you have a percussion going from middle school to high school, and then a head band director kind of lends itself to, if they're if they're down to be busy, then you could do that. Um, but then some other ones, again, that just either didn't have the funding or the the area was a little bit, um, was struggling a little bit more financially, or they didn't have the staff, you know, people actually pouring into the arts to allow for that. So, yeah, it was definitely great. It allowed me to be aware of it, at least when I got to undergrad. It's like, oh, these are things that I've at least done before, albeit at a different level, but when you were in middle school, high school, were you doing anything else to fill out your time? Were you doing any uh, sports or student government or church-related activities or mathletes or anything? Well, actually, I'm a math champ. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, in middle school, not a lot. And also early high school, not a lot. Uh, not to it's inherently say like a bunch about it, but uh, we're dealing with some pretty serious family health things and uh, like a single mom and a, uh, ailing uncle to where I was um, just relied upon a lot to be able to do things or be there for more more adult responsibilities. Uh, kind of a mixed bag. Not, not inherently good most of the time, but it's fine. 
But in doing that, they kind of occupied a lot of my extra time in middle school and early high school. After that, like halfway through high school, started getting into a few things. Got to join jazz band, uh, play some awful, awful jazz drum set. But, you know, I tried my best. That's all right. <laughs> I got better. That's what counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Do not look for any videotapes of of you playing jazz in high school. Is that, that what that sounds like? Oh, yeah, definitely not. I'll have to, <laughs> I don't know, destroy the internet at that point because I can't get it off. <laughs> but uh, so, I, so I did that. Didn't do a lot of like church activities, wasn't really super active. The church was kind of a later thing for me. Um, like halfway through, it was like, yeah, I'm going to give this thing a try. But it was great, worked out, best decision of my life. Not to get into that, obviously. But uh, but I wasn't really like super active in things besides that, especially halfway through that. Then I started like getting into some club stuff, did some honors and AP courses for lack of a better way of putting it, you just kind of fit in better with the, the different groups of people that you might have in some of those versus sure. some of classes. Um, yeah. And most of those those band friends that I mentioned before were also a part of that. Oh my gosh, the lights. Okay. So yeah, between the the AP courses and getting into some some other, like FBLA, so Future Business Leaders of America, mm-hmm. had some of that, went to some conventions for it, went to... And then just then just ban things, but that was that kept me pretty busy. Yeah. What was the what, what kind of activities were at Future Business Leaders of America? I mean, it was exactly kind of what it sounded like. Our business tech teacher was leading that, Miss um, Yelder, who I think is since left and come back in a different position there, which was <laughs> cool, I guess. It was just kind of like geared towards. Um, I guess exposing students to other avenues of like in, in the business world or like what it looks like to do this, what it looks like to get into, maybe you want to get into accounting or you want to get into other aspects of marketing or like, what would that look like? And otherwise you wouldn't get that as a high school kid. That'd be kind of a, a weird thing to just get from, just come across that by yourself. But so you do that and you go to conference conferences to where they'd have like accounting or I think there were a couple of other like competitions to where you could compete with that one being math based, which I think I ended up doing that because I just enjoyed math and I, I still do. I just didn't have to do a lot of it in college. So that was a competition. There was some other for like you could talk about like of how you would do this thing for a business to where you might give a presentation to a group of people or trying to do some of those things. So very much so, I don't know, corporate world junior, um, trying to see what that would actually be like. Sure. But I guess the, the biggest thing as far as why we did it was like exposing people to other avenues that they wouldn't be exposed to usually. That was great. I enjoyed it, but also enjoyed the... <laughs> I, I guess being able to do it with my friends and then also the particular teacher that was helping us with it, I also enjoyed her a lot too. So that kind of, you know, you can imagine, doesn't take much to get a high school kid to do something. This is fun. You can do it with your friends. You're not that bad at it. You'll probably do it. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of, you, you mentioned this um, before that you, you do get to Auburn and, and you said very early on, it took you, you said five and a half years to get like your, your two degrees. Yes. Was that, 
was that like a, a plan or is it just that you were doing one and then you realized that like another one was better off for what you wanted to do or however that worked? Uh, started out in music education, which I'm sure a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes sense. Come on. You got to get a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you have a job. <laughs> so I started in music ed, you know, went through the rigmarole of audition, do this thing. Great. Get in. Yeah, go to school. Um, immediately starting your education classes, obviously. But then getting, I would say after that first semester, uh, I was kind of thinking like I saw like what the performance degree was also going to offer. The biggest difference is being obviously education. You have all the ed stuff, but the education degree was definitely geared towards, okay, so you're going to do this. You're going to perform. You're going to do all those things. Basically those get kind of done in three years. And then you hit education super hard with the things that you have left. And then you finish it all. And then student teaching at the end of those four years being your last semester. Um, the performance degree required had a few other requirements. So more history or theory or both, however you wanted to put it together, you kind of had a few options there. You get an entire year of lessons again for education. You only got three years of lessons and then you'd have your senior recital, your junior year. Yep. Um, the performance degree obviously it came with, you'd have to do two recitals. So you'd have to do a junior recital and a senior recital, but you'd get an extra year of lessons, extra year of development. And then also just the the playing opportunities were a little bit different, kind of like, I guess the expectation was a little bit higher, even though my professor didn't really ascribe to doing it that way. (laughs) He wasn't going to, all right, you're just doing education, so we'll make the bar look like he didn't function that way. And I'm thankful that he didn't. So I, I was thinking about like what I wanted to do after that. And I think since pretty much since I've started my undergraduate degree, I was very sure that I wanted to be a university professor. I said I wanted the percussion studio job. Other things have necessarily changed in my career as far as like, I'd be okay doing this and this and this. That has been a hard non-negotiable since I started. So in thinking about that, obviously, you know, 19-year-old me is thinking about, so it means grad school, which I'm going to have to audition for, which will be my last year that I wouldn't be taking any lessons because I've only been doing education things. Right. And it just didn't seem like that path was going to work out for me. But I didn't want to not do education either because I still valued that, valued my experiences that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So I wanted to add performance to that. And thankfully, where I was, you could get, you could do the dual degree, which essentially is you take, you take all the overlap and then you take the outliers that have to do with the prospective degrees too. So uh, I thought that that would be the the better path for me. So in adding that, it, it pretty much ensured that four years wasn't going to happen for me. <laughs> that just wasn't. And this wasn't with like not taking summer classes. I would take like a course or two during the summer and also work mm-hmm. to pay for college because I didn't really get a lot of financial help from my parents. They just didn't have it. But in in having to do that and adding the second degree, it was pretty much five years was going to happen um it just ended up happening with like five and a half because i wanted the extra lessons i also wanted the the extra expectation while again from my percussion professor the the expectation is the the unified expectation you everybody's going to be the best student that they can be but you also get the expectation from you know other faculty where they might not see you 
where you end up in those classes that are required for a performance major, that's not required for an education major, and vice versa. Right. In an effort to also be pushed to be the best of those two things, whether it be performer, educator, or obviously a combination of two that we're pretty much all in at this point. Having both of those things seem to push me in the right direction to both educationally do what I want to do and get all the educational experiences and be pushed in in a way that forced me to get out of my shell a little bit just because I'm generally more introverted. So the teacher can't be the quietest person in the room. That's not going to work out in getting that, but also be the best performer to get to grad school. Both of those things became something that was very important to me. So again, that was going to take more than four. Toward the end of my time, I also had to, to more family health issues. Uh, my my mom being the this time what happened. I think fall like my fourth year, she actually uh, had a stroke, so quite a little bit like more assistance. Um, thankfully, she was still like fine. She could still like do things for herself, but it definitely became. Um, thankfully, I was living at home at the time. I was the person to call the ambulance and do the whatnot. So I was very thankful that I'm there and thankful that I had been staying at home because otherwise it could have been a significantly darker. But in that, it means, you know, you have an added, all right, I got to go home and check on my mom, see what's going on. Um, again, she'd still like do stuff by herself, but as far as driving and having to run those errands, um, I definitely had to do like most, if not all of that for a little while. So that also made me want to take a step back a little bit, not, not not take a, a bunch of hours, but still still be a full-time student, but definitely have other responsibilities. So trying to find that balance was also kind of a thing. Um, had some great faculty that was very understanding of, you know, you missed a deadline. I was driving to Columbus at the state, the hospital for like, come on. So yeah. they're very understanding, worked with me a lot. Um, they probably had a little bit to, to do with maybe adding a semester here or there, but... Sure. Uh, but yeah, so in doing that, it was definitely the two degrees was going to make it take longer than four and life might have added an extra semester or so. So, wow. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I, you alluded to this at some point and it may not have even been to me. It might have been the, when we played the Royals game last year, I think we, we oh, may wow. have like briefly chatted about this or you were talking to someone else and I was nearby. I don't remember. Some of these challenges that are amazing that you made it through, honestly. Yeah, um, I was, uh, to be honest, I was still very fortunate that I could somehow balance a lot of that. It was definitely a a, a trying time, but still, uh, you know, understanding, like my mom thankfully understands it's not like a, why aren't you here with me more? Like I'm doing my best. She got, she got that. Yeah. And just, being transparent with like like I said some of the faculty about like hey this was going on um also thankfully I had I was you know I had a reputation of being like okay he's reliable he's got so if, if something's happening it's probably something wrong so I, I had built up my reputation in being that to where it wasn't nobody was worried that I was misusing something or right. misusing opportunities um but no, definitely, definitely hard, but very fortunate in that it could fit together somehow to still work out. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
what first of all, what were you playing in drumline and what was the kind of the your basic schedule for the marching band there? As far as what I was playing, uh, I did five years of marching band. Some of it being our um, scholarship. Our scholarship money was tied to marching band as far as the mm-hmm. percussion area, just because it's not a very big school of music. Like it was a, a small department of music inside of a college of liberal arts. Yeah. So, not huge. So obviously they need people to fill it out. And while our marching band was mostly other majors, you know, the business, the engineers, huge engineering school, a lot of your scholarship money would be tied to it. Albeit it wasn't necessarily a lot because again, when I auditioned, not that great. That's okay. <laughs> but it's still tied to that to help fill it out. You know, a bunch of different people having to fill different roles. So I did five years and thankfully we did have a, a front ensemble, which I'm very thankful for just because it gave me some valuable experience being inside of a front ensemble other than some of the high school experiences that I had. So I did two years in the front. I think first year was just playing rack, mm-hmm. uh, drum set-ish, <laughs> drum set-ish type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year was like xylophone. And then I did three more years of marching snare drum, uh, which is kind of funny that it also matches my high school experiences. Um you could be alternates in high school back in eighth grade. So it means you could technically do five years of that. Mm-hmm. So I also did two years of front ensemble and three years of marching snare drum. <laughs> Whatever. It just kind of worked out. But that was but that was like basically what I did. So I got to be a part of all those things, which has helped me be able to teach both of those things because I've been in situations where I got to do that. As far as the schedule goes, we did four days a week and then game day. So you did Tuesday. Through Friday, uh, I think technically our time slot was 3.15 to 4.45. But, you know, get there at 3, you're probably not going to get out until like 5 with putting your stuff away. Sure. But that was Tuesday through Friday. Um, pretty much every Tuesday through Friday. I don't think we had Fridays off unless maybe the pet band needed to leave for something where we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. But we usually have that stuff just because we're super busy game days saturdays obviously because we know what saturdays are that's mm-hmm. the whole day yep but monday nights we did have drumline sectional mm-hmm. to where we'd be working on the this week's music trying to fit it together ourselves obviously if the because we were the, the expectation is okay so drumline so it's the show so what's going to happen so you're going to memorize your music first because we need you to play this um, you're probably going to be able to play it a little bit better, faster, because we need it to be solid for the rest of the band. We can't be struggling and then the rest of the band try to fit around a struggling drumline. That's not yeah. gonna. That's not gonna fly. So, if you were in drumline, you ended up doing five days a week, Monday nights, seven to nine, maybe mm-hmm. seven to nine or six or eight thirty. One is two hour block Monday nights, and then. The block Tuesday to Friday, and then Saturday was game day. So a lot, but also it's just, you know, it was a general expectation that was agreed upon. We knew what it was. Um, it was also pretty competitive as far as how, how to make it. Um, and the people that we turned away because we don't have, just you know, everybody can't make it. Yeah. So in that, people didn't generally didn't mind the work too much because, they understood like 
especially if you're playing snare drum, like you started snare auditions and we're taking nine and there's like 20 people that want to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we, we understand that we're very fortunate to be here and you need to take it seriously. This isn't your job, but it's got to have some part of your time and effort. How good was Auburn football when you were there? Mixed bag some years. Um, mixed bag being like, while you might have a bad year, a bad year still usually means like a bowl game, right? Like yeah. it still, like <laughs> yeah. still, it still means like, like we, we're still clearing these six wins, right? Like, yeah, right, yeah. So uh, a little bit more successful prior to me getting there. You have like kick six and everything that everybody mm-hmm. hears about, but still pretty, pretty solid. Like we were probably between six to. T- 10 wins every year I was there. Really competitive and good for numbers, obviously, as you can imagine. You know, football. Oh, yeah. People see the marching band more. More competition comes out to audition. So, uh, decent. Decent most of the years I was there. Did you, where was the best bowl you got to go to or best trip you got to go to? Probably the Outback Bowl. Outback Bowl is kind of nice. I think it was in Tampa at the time. Uh, weather could have been nicer, but as far as a general going, <laughs> a general destination, that was definitely uh, one of the nicer ones. Did you win any of the Iron Bowls? Uh, we did. Uh, I don't remember how many we won. Uh, uh-huh. but we, it wasn't a lose every year, which was definitely, you can imagine that type of atmosphere when whenever you go. It's exactly what you would expect. Population and like density. 10 times higher, probably. Yeah, a population density that like <laughs> dang near doubles near campus for yeah. all of these things. People coming in in their RVs the Wednesday before the game to get their parking spot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hyper competitive. The, even if you have a down year, even if we're not doing well and Alabama's doing great because they just had better years than we did at the time still hyper competitive like if if you lose everything you could still beat alabama at the iron bowl and then it's okay yeah (laughs) that was kind of the general consensus of a fan base yeah it was pretty it was pretty hilarious to be at auburn this past year for that wild mizzou game i think auburn knew that they weren't as good this year and so the fact that they (laughs) that even after they beat us they were like they weren't like, woo! They were like, we kind of, we're not very good. Like, we probably should have lost that game. They, they were extremely uh, realistic, I would say, about the team. Yeah, that, that usually turns into, all right, so who's the coach? Are right, yes. Coach? <laughs> You're probably fired. I was just, yeah. I mean, the sad truth about it is like, you, there's kind of an expectation. So even if there's like some down years, it's, very unforgiving. You're not, yes. not super great then. Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely wasn't. Uh, nobody seemed very excited. It's like, well, I'm here at Mizzou now. So, like, <laughs> Mizzou's not excited because they didn't win. And Auburn's not excited because they barely won. So, everybody's just upset. Yeah. It was fun, though. It was fun to be in that. That atmosphere was pretty great when you, you first get to Auburn, you, you were like, I have, I have a lot to, I have a lot to catch up on. 
was that like in one specific area or was it in percussion or was it or music in its entirety or was it like okay this definitely now that i'm here i i have to like i gotta start from the beginning basically pretty much kind of a i need to start from the beginning because like overall very lacking because I haven't taken lessons before, didn't mm-hmm. even consider getting serious about music until senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And haven't, and obviously not, and I didn't do like, I mean, I did, I did like district my last year because why not was kind of my thought, sure. but not doing all state before then either. So getting there, it was behind on honestly, musically, just about everything that you could be behind. On. I feel like the one thing I had going to me was that I was a decent student <laughs> and that was that was about it. So at least if I if I don't know, I can figure it out or at least work work it in to where I can improve. So yeah. But going in, I was very behind. But uh thankfully, I, I've never been a person that I don't need you to like sugarcoat it, like it's okay that it's fine. And just uh, no, my professor was very honest with me. He's like, okay, look, here's where we are. Um, it's very behind. And he was honest about what it means to be to be a musician and be trying to get a music degree was Mm -hmm. okay. So you're going to be here and speaking candidly, you're going to spend more hours here than anybody else on campus doing a bunch of classes. Some of them being one hour that is going to require multiple hours of work a week. And it's just, and there's no way to really speed this up because you're learning a skill. You can't really speed that up. That just takes the amount of time it takes. But in in doing that, he was very honest. It's like, this is the most demanding degree on, on campus with the most hours. It's mm-hmm. the most time consuming and you are very behind. So you're going to have to buckle down if you really want to do that. Not saying it in a mean way, but just saying it in a very honest way. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate that was obviously a defining moment because I always reference this. But like I said, he was very upfront with what it is, what it's going to take, where you are, and what it's going to mean you do that. So. Me taking that, I was very prepared to throw as much time into it as I needed to throw into it. But I didn't have any, I don't know, sugar-coated, I don't know, sparkle-covered idea of what bringing music was going to be. or And I didn't have the idea of, okay, so I've done this with my friends, so this will just be super easy. I didn't have that, so I didn't have to battle, this isn't what I signed up for had some colleagues who did have the battle with this isn't what I signed up for. And they ended up quitting because they just expected I had an easy time. So this will be easy too. Or this was just a social thing for me in high school and it could still be a social thing that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. He quit too. Um, So yeah, I just didn't have to, I had a very, as real as I could with not having been exposed to it before a real understanding of what this was going to be um so yeah just going into it like that but again super behind so i was the person in class trying to go into class not missing any of the classes uh, i think i was late to like one of them because i got to campus early to practice at like six something in the morning and i had an 8 a.m and i showed up at like 8.20 because time got away from me. That was Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> because, I mean, my, my, my thought process is like, okay, so 
I'm really behind. So I don't get to complain about being behind if I'm not doing the things to try to get better. So if you're not going to class, you can't complain about doing bad in class. If you're awful at something and the teacher offers help and you don't go to the help, you don't go to the office hours, they're not, to me, that means you don't get to complain about being bad at it anymore because it's your fault. That, that was very much so me because I started with that understanding. Of, <laughs> I got to buckle down. When you're there, how does Mizzou get on your radar for grad school? I was looking in, in like schools and I was super organized with it. So I can kind of went the route of get a notebook, write down some things, write down some like schools and then kind of put them in tiers. Cause you got like some of the ones that are like, obviously they just feed into themselves hundreds of auditionees because of the name they have. Then getting the faculty, um, learning about the faculty that they had on staff here, uh, learning about the faculty that I could potentially work with and thinking about uh, assistantships. So, uh, an assistantship was going to be necessary for me to continue to go to school because mm-hmm. I was going to need funding, um, or at least the the idea is to not accumulate like thirty plus thousand dollars of debt every year that you go to school without any kind of funding. Yeah. So in, in looking for funding and then getting into more podcasts, um, started getting into some of those where you could see some of you know, the people that you would study with, but you got to see them like in a conversation. Um, I am a, more of a big conversation person. Like I prefer to talk to people so you can get a vibe rather than email correspondence or what I can read in your bio, which is great. Sure. It doesn't really tell me how, how I get along with you as a person. Getting into podcasts, I ended up getting into the App Percussion podcast, which Dr. Arnes was part of here. Yeah. Um, got to see some of that and see her interactions with some people to where it's like, huh, seems like a pretty good person. So then it was like, okay, so now I can learn more about her as a person and then go into the route of reading the bio, reading about stuff that you've done, um, see her on some other stuff, do some more talking, see her do some playing, which is great, see her do some teaching, which is even better. And then obviously the assistantship thing also fell into into place. So it was like, okay, so there's there's funding to be had. Hopefully that works out for me. Don't know if it will, but I could try. Um, I know that I would like the professor that I would be studying with initially, then just went the route of learning about the campus, learning about other things, and then just went from there to whittle the pool down to a manageable list of audition, mm-hmm. auditions that I would take. I think that list ended up being like somewhere between seven to nine schools. Basically did this entire process again because I'm just not very, yeah, I'm not really a, uh, I'm kind of a planner, um, especially with major life decisions. So it's definitely not a, I think I'll figure it out and then I'll just move and it'll work out. I'm just not, I guess I'm a little bit more pragmatic than that. Like we yeah. we need to figure out how this could actually work out. Yeah. Um, so that, that led me to have Mizzou be a part of my list, um, to take some auditions. You know, did, did my research again on what they were looking for an assist for an assistantship and yeah, worked out, worked out great position and got to meet more of the faculty, looked into other faculty, obviously <laughs> looked into you, looked into Dr. Gaines, Dr. Mm-hmm. Like literally all of the, like, any of the people that I was sure I could come in contact with for having to work with, sure. I ended up doing that too. To and everything went so positively that I was like, "Yeah, 
I could see myself being there. I'll give it a shot. It worked out. I, I remember uh I remember you being here. We were we were really impressed with your your drumline work. And I then I talked to Dr. Arns after and I had not seen you play Marimba yet. Um, but he, she's like, Yeah, he played the you played the the canon, the transformation, Pacabell's canon. Dude. Yeah, and she's like, it was really good. Like awesome. <laughs> oh I was I was excited because the Marimba land stuff, you know. Oh, that was definitely because I got definitely in, in talking about her, like talking with her about this. It's definitely an interesting type of balance you need. Like you need somebody that obviously the playing wise, you can audition well enough to be in the, the pool of finalists. Yeah. But then thankfully y'all had, y'all had like a working with like a teaching aspect of it, which I actually didn't get a lot of when in my recent auditions that I had was teaching with in front of people. But I, I don't know. I think it was great. I think I, I think a, a little strength is I feel like I come off as easy to work with. So I think like that was also really kind of nice to have an interaction rather than the on paper or something or the the hearsay of I played this Barupa solo decently. But like, but also you know how is he like working with people and is that also fine? And obviously, being a part of that my this year with the new person. Mm -hmm. but uh it just that was great and definitely set the program apart because that wasn't really a part of like some of the other things that i had to do as far as auditioning and allowed me to have those conversations that i really enjoy having rather than the audition day where it's come in and hope you play well and then you just leave sometimes so a little dry yeah well, you know, it's it's interesting when you when you first got here. Well, you weren't helped by by COVID and being in a mask. Like, I mean, that was the that was one of the things. I mean, obviously, it was just like I mean, and and because you're 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 um um compared to who who was who was in your position prior to you getting here, that person was much more talkative. So it was like we knew you knew everything, but, but also you were, you just said much less just as, just as your, your general vibe. And then you have a mask on. So it's like, it, it's like all of those things just kept. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like I'm just not, even though the, the conversations here would have to believe I'm just, you know, talking your ear off here, but yeah. Oh, I feel like there should be a, a balance and I don't want to be the the teacher that only talks at you for an extended period of time. Yeah. Cause that just gets really dry all the time. And then at this point there should be some kind of give and take, um, mm-hmm. some kind of discourse between like, how are we doing this educationally? And you, you know, taking control of your own personal education is students have any input. Right. So I, I just remember getting, to the audition room and then seeing you and the other doctors and cliff just like, right. Right, i hope this goes well because i'll we'll see how this goes like like i know i know the things but also a little nerve-wracking but i'm just gonna ignore y'all and just try to, try, try to work this out um yeah. and thankfully I, I think it really made a difference for like 
connecting. And obviously I've since gone back and talked to some of them as far as like, Hey, so some of the, um, some of the students, I mean, from them, yeah, yeah. since going on graduated about, Hey, how did I come off when I do this? Cause I'm always kind of in the dark about how I come off to people sometimes. Sure. So, but it was just like, so how would I kind of differ from this? And some of the things I got was like, one, uh, I was like more personable, but then knowledgeable, but not somebody that's trying to compensate with the knowledge, you know, like, which I guess would be the not talking as much. It's like, hey, so I know this, but it's not. I've definitely been around people that talk about themselves, their experiences a little, little much. Mm-hmm. When like, that's really great, but like nobody asked. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, but like, yeah. that's, that's great. I know you know, but you... That's a little too name drop weird. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not really trying to be that. Not to say that I have this, I don't know, huge network of things, but I don't know. I'm very serious about trying to better myself and trying to gain knowledge to help people. So I think I've gotten a certain level of that. Yeah. Yeah. The the positive comments I got was like one being being personable and then like knowledge of helping them with things, also being willing to like model some stuff which also seemed to go over super well with like hey i'm asking you to do this but then i'd say it say what i'm asking you to do say this how it relates to this other rudiment or this hybrid or something that new hybrid whatever but let's say how it relates to it but then like but then like show it so like being able to to model some of that but also getting your feedback or something or trying to make it relatable to you I think that kind of helped me. And then just, like I said, being able to deal with me and had a conversation, like they got to ask me a bunch of questions. Um, I, I still remember this day <laughs> super well. But but in, in doing some of that, it seemed to be that they hadn't gotten that to some, with some of the other people that were auditioning for the particular assistantship. And they just didn't really like, they weren't feeling it because of that. But yeah, I'll take it. I'll take the win. Yeah, yeah, do it. It's it's so, and it's a win. So I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. Jeremiah finished with a segment called Random Ask Questions. First question, what's an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? From a teaching aspect, uh, I think what kind of gets under my skin is when teachers say like, okay, so do it and then do it this way because it's right. And we like never come back to like why or why we're doing something or because then you get the student that's 10 years down the road. We do this. Why do we do that? I don't know. This is right. Why is it right? But it could be different. <laughs> that gets under my nerves, like under my skin because I just feel like it doesn't foster some kind of back and forth. I just think there needs to be some kind of back and forth. I, I guess from a, a student aspect, like what can students do to get under my skin, um, which is more specific to them. Uh, just a, so some apathy for like what you're doing or just taking care of your equipment. That kind of gets under my skin too, just because we're here. We need to value this, value our time, value what we have, or we're not going to have it anymore. Uh, I guess a thing that like I, I might do that might – irk me a little bit that I try not to do it is to be able to come at things different ways. So if something doesn't work, being able to pivot quickly to something that might work, 
I do try to do that a lot. Uh, pride myself a little bit on being able to have that flexibility, but you know, sometimes you, you're a little slower paced to it. So that's like one of my tendencies that I focus on a lot. So that, that kind of irks me when I can't do it. Cause mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, I need to figure out why I can't do this. Cause somebody needs this. Okay. Next question. Uh, take this wherever you want to go. Being an African-American in the mostly white world of percussion. Oh man. That question, that question can go everywhere. And I've thought about it a lot. Cause uh, I've gone. I've gone to two PWIs. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to the two, and you're going to a third. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're going to. Well, it will be. What soon will be three P, predominantly white institutions. Just in case yeah. everybody needs needs that. Yeah, maybe they do. It's a little difficult sometimes because there's like a level of connectivity or a level of understanding that your peers don't have because of just the the upbringing right so me being being black and then also to a certain extent having the um uh, uh i guess a lower socioeconomic status coming from some of that will also shape it a little bit but it, it's like getting used to the understanding of you having some experiences that are not shared experiences because they can't be, and that's fine, but it's obviously it makes it a little bit hard to, you know, maybe you're struggling with some parts of that where you can't really connect to your peers in that way. Cause I, I, it's like in Auburn, I was like one of two people in the studio of like 14 to 15 until the other person actually like was doing a BA and switched to other music production things. So then it was, so that can like turn into things. And then here also just being, being uh, like, just knowing where I fit and just, it's not like it's a secret. <laughs> We're here for them. It's just like knowing that like some of your experiences aren't going to be the experiences of your peers. So maybe in looking for a connection, you can't, expect that from a situation if that's not what the situation is so trying to balance that has definitely been a little difficult and a little bit of a struggle at times because like i said sometimes you have this idea of struggling with some stuff um and then if you're like i don't know 90 to 100 of other musicians struggling with imposter syndrome that can also rear its ugly head in there too mm. where it's like i don't have an upbringing of these people i don't have we're not the same we don't necessarily have that this particular thing in common not to say that we're not the same because there's similarities in everybody but in not having that and trying to figure out where you fit in there and also get to the understanding of okay you're in this situation because you're supposed to be in the situation. You have the opportunities you have because you're supposed to have these opportunities. It's not really about not being able to do this, this, this. You're here for a reason. I think I, I always fall back to this. I feel like life prepares you for itself. So life tends to put you in situations to help you with other situations that you're going to be faced. So I ended up in PWI to go to another PWI to feel this, or I ended up struggling with this so that I can be prepared to be in a situation where somebody might be struggling with this and I can help them with. So I I just think life kind of does that. It's just kind of a built-in thing. 
but in in having that understanding, like the biggest struggle was definitely uh it's not really a lot of not a representation in in the world of Western art music here. Um yeah. there would be more in contemporary music for obvious reasons and genres that also lend itself to it, but understanding where it is and then also understanding that like you can't get everything from every situation so i can't get that i'm not gonna bond with this over some other studio mates because we we don't have that that's okay that's fine and <laughs> then you need to be okay with that but it's definitely a, a struggle in seeing some of that and then just wanting to continue in this world and like me wanting to even try to get into orchestral things where <laughs> the representation goes down um, significantly. Um, I was talking to my roommate about this the other day and hearing about the Josh Jones news and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The tenure process for everything and how, because I don't know necessarily what goes into that. I've never had a level of success like that. But in knowing what I do know, like black orchestral musicians, not, you know, pretty rare commodity, um, even rare commodity for principles of things like, yeah. like I was like, like there was Josh Jones and then like Anthony McGill, DeMar McGill and Titus Underwood and then Javon Gilliam were the five that I knew of like two years ago. Yeah, yeah. How much has changed now, but not yeah. a lot. <laughs> In knowing to expect that it helps a little bit, but it's still definitely a, a difficult balance and probably going to be an ongoing struggle with imposter syndrome, not, not helping, obviously just hurting that particular feeling of, I don't belong. I'm not the same as my peers or not good enough. Not to say I'm not good enough because I'm black, but you know, emotionally, you know, sometimes it's just like an upbringing where logically this doesn't make sense, but you still feel the way you feel, you know, like my feelings don't care what's logical type of deal. I like to think I'm introspective enough to know that this is dumb. I know that I'm struggling with this. This is not based in logic right now. Sometimes this is like a feeling Mm -hmm. I can like get past that because I, I know enough about my feelings to be able to do that. But it's definitely a struggle and definitely a, Rears its ugly head at times with, you know, connecting to your peers or dealing with specific struggles where they can't relate. That's okay. They don't have to be able to relate to that's a that's an unfair ask, but uh kind of ever present a little bit in my world. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Oh, when I was in the South, it was going to be most of my winter wear, <laughs> but can't say that now. I don't know if I even still have this, but there was like a random, like a random, like glow in the dark Christmas hat that had like a spinning ball at the top. That I don't know why I got this in my childhood, but I did. And it's somewhere, whether it's here or like at my mom's house in Alabama. It was ridiculously impractical. I don't even know if I got it around Christmas time. I think I just got it and I just just chucked it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's awesome. (laughs) I like that that you may not have even gotten it at Christmas time. I think that might be my favorite. Yeah, I don't know how that came up, but you know, whatever. I own it. It's somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. 
All right. Uh, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Nailed? No. Uh, I think there's been some people that like might have come close because there might have been a particular phrase that I end up saying a lot where it's like, okay, they they got it because of that. Or what was the phrase? Oh my gosh, I don't remember. It's nothing you say. Maybe maybe after a, a bad run through, is that like the first thing out of your mouth? Is it something like that? Lately, it's just been like ah. <laughs> after like a bad run <laughs> or something. Lately, it's been that. But that wasn't. That was. That's been a new thing. It's like, or somebody says something that's particularly, I, I guess, cringy. And just if if the kids still say that, it was like oh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> And like so some things that like people might do for that. <laughs> uh or you know, yours was like the when I say the can't complain thing, you know, <laughs> how you doing? That's also my sauce. Yep, that is. <laughs> because depending on how you how you shake that one, that's also always the right answer. It can always be the right answer, <laughs> whether it's it is. Um but that's yeah, that's that's been it. Okay. Um other than that, if you wanted to do an impression of me, my advice would, to you would be lean into the dry humor. Yes. Uh, and the deadpan delivery. I'm I'm quite good at that. The arresting murder face also helps. Um, it's got other names, but, you know, a little bit yes, more. I'm not going to go with those. But I've also had that. It served me well in undergrad when I was walking on the concourse. You know, everybody tries to hand you stuff, but... You know, if your general demeanor is just kind of the, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to hand me something. So right, right, yeah. <laughs> so that helps. Exactly. But so if you if they could do like a good, I don't know, a good joke based off of something with a deadpan delivery and arresting murder face, then that would probably be me. In a nutshell, I softened it up. I worked in an elementary school for a while. It helped me soften it up. I can't really do that. Oh, um, we're like a seven year old. They're not really having that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a little scary, but yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Uh, what's a great movie and what's a terrible movie? <clears throat> oh, gosh. Terrible movie, which is kind of a series of movies for me. So the 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 parody movies, where it's like epic movie or oh. like dance flick or, yeah. or like what Meet the Spartans or something. Yeah, yeah, I know. Any yeah. of those, pretty terrible. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bad. Pick one, anyone, awful. <laughs> um, and a good, uh, good movie. Space Jam is always pretty solid. It's kind of a fun, ridiculous one. Mm-hmm. Glory Road, which is also pretty solid. Yeah. Which it's really funny that I'm going to Kentucky. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah uh, we're like, you know, it's a great movie. Glory Road. <laughs> hey, it's a house, house coach rep. You know, <laughs> oh, that's, that's really funny. I never actually thought about that. But that's hilarious. Um, as you can tell, I'm kind of a, a big basketball guy. It's kind of a NBA yeah. basketball or anything like that. I'm all for it. So uh, yeah. I'll always be down for that. And probably the best movie, or at least one that kind of got me, was a uh, radio, which was oh yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. with based on a true story, which is also like oh that's that one that was one that definitely got me. Uh, got me in my feels, not. Not that I'm usually a guy, a guy that gets caught up in that, mm-hmm. uh, but 
yeah, that was a that's a good one. I gotta break out the tissues for that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll I'll just follow up with uh do you have a sports fandom? It will always be NBA basketball <laughs> for better or worse. And I was it's the best time of year right now. Uh, you're telling me I've always been the biggest Celtics fan. Oh, except for that, that part. Now you lost me. Sorry. It is what it is. What, what am I supposed to say? Like Knicks? Am I supposed to say that? No, no. I'm just, just, the, just no, no Boston teams. That's all. That's fair. But it, in, in my defense, I was a Boston fan for like, like Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. I was a big Boston fan then. And then. Wow. Okay. Hey, then KGs and Rondos and Ray Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Pierce. And moving on, thankfully, it kind of worked its way out. So where they happen to be good now. Um, and mm-hmm. we're staying good for the foreseeable future. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's been, uh, uh, there's been other teams that come and go, but I've always still been a, Big Celtics fan, yeah. For the hard years. Were you were you actually worried that you were going to lose to the the Sixers? Not that much, man. It's just not been that great for the Sixers or Doc Rivers. Um, yeah, or I guess not Doc Rivers anymore. Sorry, yeah. Doc Rivers. Uh, yeah, new coach. Um, but yeah, it's just not been that great for the Sixers or or even James Harden with you know showing up. In the yep. playoffs, he's or, or not showing up, it turns out that's true. He was not there, he was absent. Yeah. <laughs> but so, a little worried, but also like, I'm also at a place where I don't get to like watch basketball all the time, so I'm here to see good basketball. So, mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad that I, th- I think the Celtics will play some better basketball against the Heat than the Sixers would play. So, yeah, at least I, I get I to see that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, what is a favorite book? Uh, I think I read. It was honestly like back in high school. I actually had to read Unwind, which was about. It was an interesting concept in in a time where, without like spoilers, it was basically your kids would grow up, and then at certain at a certain point, like if they're not deemed as like beneficial enough like they mm-hmm. get unwound to use as like pieces of them to better society which is a little morbid a little dystopian but it was definitely i think it was like the first book where i was just like this is really good it's really weird but it was really good and i think what lately i've been trying to read a, a few books uh one of them was a a book by David Goggins, which is definitely like kind of a falls into like the the self help ish type of, mm-hmm. of lane of like you know being able to buckle down and focus on stuff and being able to do all that. It's, it's also David Goggins, which I don't know if you know how much you know about him, but if you're waiting for appropriate language or uh, a, a soft delivery, yeah, he doesn't have one um, at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> if that's not your thing, don't read the book. But gotcha. but I've uh, been getting into that, and then there's just a few that are on my on my list of read readings that I want to get to this summer, which is the Talent Code, the Inner Game of Music. Mm. 
I think I was watching a JP Bouvet blog. Like he was doing a blog, which is a JP Bouvet being a, a drummer that maybe you know about, maybe you don't. He was um super big for a while, went into like guitar center drum off one year and doing some of that stuff. Also just happened to go to Berkeley, but in Berkeley fashion, left Berkeley to because you know you get the job. So right, yeah. <laughs> He's fine. Exactly. Um but it was one that he talked about. He talked about like memory and getting your your brain to function higher. But that's kind of on my list. So I got a few on my list now that I've graduated yeah. and hopefully can have more time to, you know, read for fun and not mm-hmm. the textbook, yeah. even though I'm gonna be reading some music history this summer. Yeah. But so yeah. Biggest kitchen mess up. Thankfully I hadn't had too many since I've been here. Uh when I was at home, whether this undergrad or earlier, it was definitely a I forget what I was making, but I, I know that there was like flour at some point and a bunch of seasonings. And I think I like spilled some of it like into the stove, like into mm. the top, like the top of the burgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like legit like like not in it but inside the top of it i don't know how yes. that and then like on the sides and it it was awful um it just kind of happens with with flour if you when you go back to alabama is there somewhere that you need to eat at that's like feel like i'm feel like i'm back where i'm back where i grew up uh, probably anywhere with like some soul food might be nice Probably try to get some barbecue. Not that Missouri doesn't have great barbecue. It's just <laughs> Columbia's a little. It's been a, it's been a struggle to try to get some barbecue where it's been kind of. It's been there's been a lot of places that have closed, uh, even in the time you've been here. Yeah, I think I went to one of them that closed specifically um, somewhere near Providence. So one place like closed there. Mm. Weird. So pr- probably some of that. Niffers, Niffers was always good for like a good burger because mm-hmm. that's just their thing. So that's that's always been great. Other than that, just maybe enjoy the <laughs> enjoy some of it and just travel through for some some soul food that you can get because I find that what what Alabama does have it's like okay, so there's decent food most places. Like it doesn't have to be if it, if it's that particular kind of food. Yeah, yeah, most places. It doesn't really matter. It's a toss up, but you'll it'll it'll at least hit a little bit. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, uh, strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? <laughs> Other than the emotionally scarring moments of like, oh crap, my pages are out of order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that got me to the point where now I check it religiously whenever I'm going to start something. Wait, what? So wait, what happened? I, I think I was in percussion ensemble and I was playing something. And while iPads were obviously still a thing, it was a time where most people still didn't like use it for music, at least in my mm-hmm. particular area, they just weren't using it. And like I started and it was like five or six pages in front of a marimba. Mm-hmm. And two of them were definitely in the wrong spot. So I think I just sat there and was hoping that I could just keep up with this percussion ensemble piece until I figure out where my page was. I fixed it decently quickly. And by fixed it, I mean, I just found what the next page was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then skip to that. So then skip back again. And I think it happened again because they were just ridiculously wrong. Um, 
keep your pages in order. Uh, <laughs> just instances of where your music falls off of the stand onto your instrument. That's also happened. Mm-hmm. There was no getting around that. That was just a, okay. So I'm just gonna stop, and y'all are gonna be okay with me stopping, so I can fix it. I think that was like for a duet or something, or like something smaller, to where it's like. Okay, I gotta let me just okay. Okay, this is kind of where are we? Somebody's gotta give me a nod. Letter. Where we let okay, Jay? Okay, I think we're in the great, cool. Nice. And then like I guess funnier ones where I've been a part of, which is starting something where they just didn't have something or other, like a mallet or something. It's like so we got we got to a section and I don't even know what we did. I think somebody handed the other person something from their setup that was close enough where it worked out and it worked out. We got through it, but I don't know how. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know how at all. Jeremiah, last question. What one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? Not super specific, but I recently went through like the percussion literature course that definitely keeps references referencing percussion instruments in art. Um, hmm. uh, this I, I can't even remember where it was. I know it was specifically between like eleven seventy and twelve ten A.D., where I think it was referencing like tambourine or seeing some other art pieces like that. And I guess what it it didn't make me think a lot, but I guess I never thought about appreciating art as much or it's been a while since I've like gone back to look at something to obviously as a person you change. So it's like, I have an appreciation for this that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Um, So moreover, it just kind of made me think about like, um, maybe that turns into a hobby for me. Maybe art turns into some kind of hobby for me. um, Just, to actually look at it and, and enjoy it because I'm a visual person so I know mm-hmm. that I've just never dove into that took an art appreciation class at like a community college between my semesters at Auburn mm-hmm. which I did enjoy too but I just hadn't thought about it in years something not recent but I guess more specific uh, as I purchased a book of poems by Maya Angelou which I got into for a while again not recent but I have that. So that's kind of been interesting, like listening to, or I guess reading some of that Mm. and getting into some of that too, which again, never thought that that would be my thing, but that's an interest of mine. I'm kind of a, maybe I like poetry. I've always been like a big quote person, Um, Mm. like whether it be something about art or life or how to be a better person, some some things like that. So I've always been into like quotes that I've found have been been very good. I guess to to say, I guess one that I'm kind of interested in is like ch- check your ego before life checks it for you, mm. um, which I've always come back to because life checks it pretty hard. Um, so I'd rather be in control of myself a little bit better than to have life decide that I don't get opportunities or whatnot. Yeah, there's been plenty of things like that specific poem uh, I think was from Return to Love by Mary Ann Williamson which it's not super it's not super long but just like a full pager mm-hmm. uh, but that was also kind of a, a big one for me so 
Yeah. It was so great getting to chat with Jeremiah here on the show. I will definitely miss having him around Mizzou since he was here for three years, pandemic, and hopefully you could tell, really enjoyed his presence here in the band and percussion area. I wish him the best as he moves on to the University of Kentucky, where I know he'll be a fantastic presence there. One other brief note related to the random ask questions and the sports end of things. This interview was recorded just before the Celtics played the Miami Heat in the recently concluded NBA playoffs, a series where Miami went up 3-0, then Boston caught up and tied the series at 3, then lost to Miami in Game 7 at home. FYI. Moving on. This week's rave is the 2023 film Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, featuring the voice talents of, among others, Shameik Moore, Haley Stenfield, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Velez, Oscar Isaac, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, and Daniel Kaluuya, and directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, now showing in theaters. Way back in the show, in the 2018-19 timeframe, in this very spot, I raved about the opening film in this series, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and about how incredible of an experience that movie is to watch and enjoy. So I'm very happy to report about the greatness of the follow-up to the original film, the second part of what is expected to be a trilogy of animated movies in this Spider-Verse canon. The general plot, Haley Stenfield, who's playing Gwen Stacy, returns as Spider-Man, but as someone who has gone through the Spider-Verse and comes back to visit another Spider-Man, Miles Morales, played by Shameik Moore, who is dealing with his own stuff and working through things with his parents, played by Brian Tyree Henry and Luna Lauren Velez. He also is getting into battles with his nemesis, Spot, who's played by Jason Schwartzman. Meanwhile, members of the Spider-Verse are involved, whether they wanted to or not, which involved Issa Rae's Jessica Drew, Daniel Kaluuya's Hobie Brown, and Oscar Isaac's Miguel O'Hara. There are many other folks involved in major roles or cameos, but again, basic outline. As was the case with the original film, this is as incredible of a visual experience as you can ever see in a movie theater. And sometimes it's a bit much, to be honest. But the throwbacks to the comic books, which they make more clear this time around, and the ways that the visual plate changes moving from one character's perspective to another is outstanding. My wife and I were fortunate to catch this film at likely the largest, most tech-savvy, specific theater in mid-Missouri, and that added to the enjoyment of a film like this. So if you have an IMAX theater near you, definitely go see it there. As was also the case with this film, unlike many of the superhero-style films that have come out, with some exceptions, at least my view, this film is frequently very funny. And while it is animated and very funny, it is also impressively grounded and realistic when it needs to be. The dialogue not only crackles at times, but is also hitting emotional spots as well. Lastly, 
the more unusual side for this particular one, unless you looked it up beforehand, is that this film leaves on a cliffhanger, which completely threw us off. But if nothing else, it made me at least totally ready to see the next installment of this, which is expected to happen in theaters this coming March. Again, the film is a joy to watch, behold, and experience with tons of amazing cameos, great character development and writing, and honestly, the best visual experience you'll see in a theater likely this year. Check out Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, still in theaters. Go see it there. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast and other podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.